0: Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is worldarchfest. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm delighted to introduce Wolf Pricks and to Peter Cook uh, for this penultimate session in the main auditorium today. Um, what's changed? Is this is a sort of, uh, with these guys, so I think it's fair to say our veterans and troopers in the on the kind of um, architectural lecture and conversation uh, scene, um, you, can, you can invent any subject you like and any question knowing full well that what they'll do is tell us about what's interesting them uh, at the moment and it's usually extremely interesting um i don't think they need much introduction but wolf pricks principal, founder of co-op himmelblau um, and a winner of projects buildings large and small across the world attended the first world architecture festival in barcelona back in 2008 Uh, and Peter Cook, um, a teacher, uh, primarily known, I suppose, as a teacher and member of Archigram, um, but more recently uh, a designer and deliverer of buildings, uh, again, around the world, including a couple that have won uh, WAF categories um, in Australia. Uh, So, um, still, he won't mind me saying so, because it's not a secret, but uh, Peter celebrated his 80th birthday uh, just recently. Um, He's still travelling, and uh, he is still delightful company. Please welcome Peter Cook.
1: Hello, I'm going to do 15 minutes with pictures. Do you have the lights down? Is that possible? Okay, you know, what what is going to happen in the future? I I don't really profess to know. Uh, But I'm just sending out a few few sort of possibles. Are we going to spend more time in in the real country or are we going to believe in some notion of countryside? Or are we going to import countryside into the city, into some kind of mixture of the two? Or are we going to look at our existing cities and implant countryside as a replacement of the city? Or are we going to bug the countryside? Are we going to mix countryside together with kind of cyber countryside or or pieces of what appear to be countryside and then on, on discovery aren't? And I think in archigram time we're very interested in this mixture of the sort of robotic and the real... And, and the growy and the real and the growy and the growy and the robotic or whatever the hell. Or are we going, this is a very, very old project, are we going to fold architecture into the countryside and sort of semi-hide it away? Or are we going to incorporate more and more vegetation into straightforward architecture? Not just funky architecture but straightforward architecture. Or are we going to live amongst vegetation? This is another fairly old scheme that some of you may know, where in fact it's part of a sequence where the vegetation gradually takes over the whole enchilada. And this is a roof of Peter Wilson's house in, in uh, summer in Germany, in, in Munster, where he starts growing his countryside onto his roof. But why not grow architecture in other kinds of ways of growing? We can, again, make the vegetation drift towards other vegetation, which is also drifting towards architecture that itself is morphing. And we can do this with mechanisms. We can do it with combinations of mechanism and, and surface and substance. We can do it by growing the substance itself. And even again, for those of us who simply do hand drawings, we can start to think of new hybrids between uh, operation and animal and almost vegetable. And if you go around the world, if you know where to look or don't know where to look, you can find a sufficient number of spookies that are pointing towards that kind of thing. And all sorts of students in every, even the most unlikely places like Melbourne, are growing them. And pokies and more pokies, and more and vegetable that turns into building. Or we can continue to explore the edges, as some of our friends have done in in the recent past, or in the past past, and some of those nearest and dearest to us are, are still doing. Or we can find strange Japanese gentlemen who make you climb up a ladder into a capsule but not the kind of archigram capsule with rounded corners, something much more kind of homely, folky, or something than that. And, of course, there are buildings where, as you know, I think you've heard me talk about this one before, somewhere in, in England is a building which is a house on the top of a, 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 a kind of stump. And the house was a water was actually a water reservoir. But then they didn't need the water reservoir, so they cut the tank out of the house and it became a house again, but it's still a house in a funny place. And I like things like that, because you have to turn your head over culturally or or iconographically 63 times. And of course, my generation was in love with the idea of the robot as a funny, clunky thing. So we have to continue to experiment. I spent my first holiday as as a student in a metal box with 60 wasps in it, in the town of Bournemouth, England. Some of you have just heard me present a couple of hours ago, a metal box in Bournemouth, England, uh, hopefully without 60 wasps in it, and uh, coloured blue. And whatever happened to the inflatable? Well, (laughs) shit, we're inside one. Is it that great? I don't know. What what will happen? Can Can we gain anything from the extreme environments? Or can we gain anything by sort of folding bits and pieces around space? Or can we gain anything into the future by scribbling? I think scribbling is very, very important. That's why I still scribble. And, you know, in our, in our little office, one of the things that we really want to build the most, and I keep repeating it in every lecture I ever give, is a footbridge with a kiosk on it that moves and a pop-up bar that pops out of the kiosk. I don't know whether anybody wants this, but you know, the future has to include things that people don't want. There's lots of worthy architects going around the world telling you what we must have and what we should want. And I'm a great believer in watching what students do And I love being surrounded by people much younger than myself because you never know what they might come up with. Even if it's what you were doing 50 years ago or what somebody else was doing 100 years ago or what somebody has not stopped doing 10 years ago. Uh, You never know where it's going. More pokies. Or you invent things that try and take account of technologies that you only half understand. But perhaps if you waited till you understood them fully, that you know, you'd have lost interest. One thing that's always bugged me is why modern architecture didn't take comfort on board. I, I, uh, being the age that i has been announced that I am, I, I like a bit of comfort. Years ago, I did a stupid project for a carpet that you could sort of live on. Uh, later, I did com- Comfo Veg and then tried to build it. And Comfo and Comfort, you know, it's not just the comfort styles or mannerisms that we inherit. I think we really, as, as designers, as architects, got again into the comfort business. It's taken us a hell of a long time. And we should relish the serendipity of the city. My favorite shop in the world is this, the village vanguard in Shimokitazawa. Uh, I, I go there every time I go to Tokyo. I irritate my wife by, by dragging her to this place. She said, why are we here? I say, I get a year's worth of buzz from going into uh, Village Vanguard in Shimakitazawa. Or my favorite kiosk in the world, which is this, the fruit kiosk in Tel Aviv, which always, look at the, I I think this is a wonderful photo, because there's a a typical Tel Avivian startup technology guy with his tongue coming out. Not only does he have his laptop everywhere, but his tongue is salivating while he waits for the fruit to come off off the kiosk. And grappling with the city, we have to deal somehow with the, the absurdity and chaos of the city. But relish it, I think. Relish it, even if it might lead to some kind of Armageddon. And also relish the, the funny situations. You know, I have a collection of animals running kiosks, animals on people's heads, animals on people's backpacks. I think the city is about the unlikely bedfellow, if you like. And we have to, for Christ's sake, challenge what is used as an excuse for economy, but is actually lack of imagination. And I believe there are some architects, even in this room, who would really prefer as if buildings went away. They're so cool, they're so calm, they're so straight that they really don't want to have any stuff at all. And, you know, why is it that, that some perfectly legitimate kinds of possibilities of the future have to be done on the level of the El Chipo. In the Archigram days, we were very optimistic and we had lots of stupid ideas, but I think there's a a role for stupidity also and delight and and strange interplays. And for goodness sake, don't let's retreat into a black and white world. Let's enjoy a non-black-and-white world, a pink world, a yellow world, a colourful world, (laughs) just slow this thing, (laughs) a red world, read the book, (laughs) or a blue world. Don't be mealy-mouthed, cheer on the talented and the bold, whoever they might be. Funny Hungarians who stick plastic dolls in amongst technology. Funny uh, Colombian guys who hang things over your head. Funny Spanish ladies who are always inventing strange bits and pieces. Or even the dreaded Ingalls who watch this space. He's not finished yet. And the much lamented Cedric who should be here tonight. And the much lamented Zaha, who should still be with us and isn't. These guys were up front.
2: Peter, you, you are always very inspiring and very optimistic uh, to the future. This is what I really appreciate. I miss Saha very much, especially in the times today where our system is going more and more into the conservative reactionary times again. So sometimes I have the feeling, Peter, we lost because now we are in danger that all the goals we could reach are suppressed in the future, namely the rights of the women and so forth. Um, I'm not going to show you projects. I'm rather make a reflection of our profession. I got a patch calling architecture tell stories. I'm, I'm not showing architecture, I'm showing the deeper background of our fading profession. Where's the... Do you have the... So the question is... What is architecture? To be honest, I don't know. The answer is Mm -hmm. also yes. We architects can be compared with a bumblebee. Scientifically, a bumblebee cannot fly because the wings are too short, the weight is too heavy, but the wonder is that the bumblebee doesn't know it. Compare this architecture uh, 2,500 years ago. In my point of view, very stupidly, because um, a stupid architecture, only the place is good because they need 36 columns to lift up a roof with 1,400 square meters. Nowadays, we can do much better. Nowadays, we can do this way. So why don't we use these uh, tools which enables us to invent new creative forms, shapes, and a new content as well. Uh, today the, the, the architectural discussion can be compared with an iceberg. Uh, we are talking only about the peak, the building, and so forth. No one considers the invisible architecture, which is much more uh, dangerous than the peak, because you know, Titanic was uh, slid by the invisible part of the iceberg. So what is the invisible part of architecture? It is politics, economy, clients, codes and rules, and so forth. And I think we have to discuss it more seriously and more precise in order to change or to get free of the change of these invisible things. Look at these pyramids, architecture at all. Everyone says this is an iconic building. But look at the program. <laughs> Go to a client and tell him i am you want to have the white part i do the black part so now we can do buildings like that and peter cook made a very very good uh, remark on that the architect you know we think we save the client we can save it only when when we can walk uh, on water I haven't seen an architect who could walk on water or we think that we are uh, supporting the whole world no way we are really like Chaplin between the invisible architecture our ideas economic suppressed by Yeah, you see it. And this is the reason we are so endangered. You know that all. Uh, Wrong, wrong. This is only in German. To make competition at all is a very stupid thing and I have to repeat myself a thousand times. Can you imagine that 100 or 200 surgeons make a proof they can make a heart surgery? Can you imagine without getting money? Only the stupid architects are doing it. And I read in the newspaper recently that the uh, uh, investor said, I'm happy to have uh, competition because I got 100 ideas for free. So, we architects are sitting <laughs> and welding the beam we are sitting on very eff- efficiently. So, But how can we plan and think nowadays compare a stone age hunter who is following the deer um, uh, along uh, the tracks the footprints and compare to a guy nowadays who has to find in an airport the right airplane at the right time who brings him to the right destination what a difference That means everyone has right, but nothing is correct. Complex systems cause complex problems and complex problems can only be solved by complex solution. Nowadays, the guys from the right side simplifying the world in order to propose simple solution that everyone can understand. The problem of the complex solution is, like we architects know, uh, that it's very, very difficult to uh, communicate complex solutions, but in opposite to the simple solution, complex solutions are always new. Simple solutions are never new, they are old. Communication nowadays means I love you, hi. But you know that you can be spotted um, by wearing your, your mobile phone, but we developed a, a code where you can put in your mobile phone in the pocket and you cannot be spotted by the FBI or CIA or whatever. Look what this Do you know this? This is a very famous painting. Nowadays, it would like this or better the other way around. This is Google or and so forth. If architecture nowadays is visible, it looks like that or like that, it's not visible. We call that greenwash. Uh, Not by chance. I say not by chance, and this is a psychological approach as well. The, The buildings nowadays with these small windows remind me on the defense towers of middle age And they use in the background the same, they are used in the same way. Um, Defense in middle age, and nowadays, is the same fear of the future. So, sometimes houses look like that, and 59, it looks like that, bigger than life. I would say how can we gain these bigger-than-life buildings again? Uh, Our our proposal is the smart um, Himmelblau meter, uh, enlarge the meter by five centimeters. That means you will get a 15% larger volume, that of course that means that uh, the building is 15% more expensive. But if you calculate the inflation with 5%, you have to build the building three years earlier. Yeah, this is – no one has the right to be obedient. Look at this. It's a real photograph of a guy in China who didn't want to leave his house. So, thank you.
0: The thing is, despite, um, despite your, your worries about the profession, Wolf, you are yourself an eternal optimist, and you also win competitions. But I just want to pick up that point because, Peter, you do lots as well. I mean, is it because actually it just keeps you in training? Obviously, everybody needs to get work. But how much of a problem is this for, for either of you that, that you, that you have to endlessly compete?
1: I think, I
0: think it's a
1: necessity, but that's placed upon you. I mean, you know, it's very rare to get a building other than through competition. Occasionally, occasionally. And I wouldn't mind, there's no, I don't think there's any kind of hand on heart thing. You know, if there was some way of doing it without the competition, sure as hell, you know, you don't approve anything anymore. But I, occasionally it's quite interesting to do a project that has has difficulties of some weird kind, either a, a sort of culture that you're not quite sure of, or a site, and in fact it's nice doing difficult sites, they're much easier to do than easy sites, so-called, and 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 strange sort of funny quirk. You know, half of half of competitions is trying to second guess what is the story behind the story. And you can, most of them are actually committee committee decisions. You can almost read the members of the committee in 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 the thing. Uh, But it has got to sort of absurdity now, and there are many competitions that really, you know, hand on heart, you shouldn't do I mean, the silly bridge that we did is one I always trot up. The the prize money was 300 quid. It was in an impossible country. You couldn't probably cost you that to get there. And nobody wanted anything other than a concrete bridge. We knew that before we did it, but, but it was an excuse to do a footbridge which turns into something else, because we'd have never thought of doing a footbridge in Skopje. I mean, didn't even know where Skopje was at the time. So there's a certain quirkiness, but I think one of the things that, that, that Wolf pointed to is the situation now, that we perhaps were of generations that enjoyed the quirkiness, because we felt that basically Things are still moving all right. I think there's a seriousness now. I, I fear for situations where you know that we're, we're, we're minus half a percent in terms of our opinion about architecture, because everybody's so bloody straight and careful and concerned. And you know, the, the, the prison window thing I, it was, was a revelation. I'd, I'd never thought of it like
0: that. Wolf, you're still doing the occasional competition.
2: Only invited and paid because I don't want I don't want to work for nothing. It's a diminishing of the value of our thinking. This is what competitions are. If I want to if I would be a client, I can have an advisor who gives me five people, three people who could fit in my mental box, so to say, and then the three get paid regularly. Then it's okay. But anonymous contribution is just make young architects to slave of money. Because one of my former students now architect won a competition. I calculated him with him together what he will again after five years and it turns out he will have a loss of 200,000 euros. So the next step is give me a, co- uh, give me a project please Cl- Mr. Klein. I do everything you want in order to pay back. So this is society is mistreating us really mistreated.
0: I think this is true and what's worse is that sometimes I mean it's not even um, that the super cynical would get a hundred ideas sort of for the price of one or for the price of none. What's even worse is clients actually don't really care about the ideas in the first place and the real reason they're holding a competition is it's a substitute for making a decision. And I think we see this so often which is why so many competitions don't go ahead. However, the other side of that coin is when when a client arrives, perhaps unexpectedly, and says, do me a building, just you. Now, this happened to you, Peter, with the building that you've been showing here at WAF. This is a beautiful... It's called the Drawing Room. It's at Bournemouth University of the Arts, where you studied uh, in your youth, and I think, was it the provost or somebody there, they decided they wanted a building, and by some miracle, which seems to ignore all normal public procurement rules they just came to you and said you used to be here design us a building is that kind of what happened
1: yeah and I'm I'm, I'm intrigued because I it's the first building I've had in England uh, you know at the age of 78 or whatever I was but if he can do it can others do it this is I always wonder about this I mean and I, I know it from the world of architecture schools I moved from the elite, special, private, therefore different by definition school, because in, in the UK, no other school could do freewheeling and interesting. But I proved that wrong. So if I could, so could other people. In other words, I think these, the, it's rather like in, in architecture education, the Bologna edict. It's only used by boring people to, to give excuses why they can't do the thing. You know, he does extraordinary buildings in cities which other people seem to do very unextraordinary buildings in, but, he, you know, their buildings have to fulfil the same laws. I think there's a, there's a sort of, dare I say, conspiracy of the boring to draw your attention to the limitations, and they, they, they sort so of terrorise vice-chancellors or people who build fire stations or whoever they may be into saying, no, no, you can't do that because it would be breaking the rule. But if our bloke can break the rule, and if, you know, the mayor of Lyon or something can break the rule, then surely the others can break the rule, if they wanted to. It's,
0: it's, a, it's a comfort defense thing. Yeah, there's, there's usually a way to do it. Uh, Wolf, when's the last time that somebody came directly to you, no competition, no interviews, and said, do us a building? Two days ago. Fantastic! It's all working, ladies and gentlemen. Uh,
2: yeah, but uh, I have to tell the story how we are treated. Um, I just want to to say something about what's changed. My father was an architect. When the client comes to him and says, "Okay, build me a building," contract was a handshake. Now you have to face at least five lawyers who make the contract, which is thick like this, and they always have the right on, on their side. Yeah. This is what really changed. That means that the architecture we are dreaming on in the 60s, I see this lovely drawing. I'm st- I still start to dream when I see your drawings yeah, of this very fantastic future is now replaced by pragmatic, money directed boxes which have the excuse that they are energy saving. Yeah. Or they have green roofs or green balconies. Yeah, this was the, the picture I showed. This balcony, the, the high rise with trees on the balcony, actually, what Hundertwasser, an Austrian artist, invented in the 60s. And it's the same like the flesh clothes of Lady Gaga. The problem is that Lady Gaga's songs, you will not, you cannot sing it because it's not in your mind.
0: I wonder if there's a general distrust, as far as architecture is concerned, on the part of generally non-creative people who are just fearful that because architects don't think like them, I mean, it's a rather light, I mean, it's a truism, but that thing that architects' minds tend to go elliptically and they will go back on themselves and they want to change things as opposed to people who deliver stuff you know engineers and project managers and so on who start and they're on a linear track they don't want to go back, they don't want to change anything and it's actually it's just a different world and somehow that used to be acknowledged and up to a point celebrated and now it's kind of you've got to de-risk everything, that's the great phrase but the reason you need five lawyers is there might be a risk if you only had one, that you might not have got a good one. And I loved your point about, you know, do you ask 200 heart surgeons to do a competition to see who's going to actually do the operation? It's kind of weird. Do you think, I what's, what's the Austrian scene? I mean, what, is, is there a, would you say a distrust of creativity? Uh,
2: we will see after the 4th of December, when we have the election for the president. Now it's okay. I still say that Vienna is a midget poodle city, but and uh, if you come to Vienna and see the, this airport or the train station, everyone is happy to see the old Vienna because the new Vienna is not in the right direction to open up the future. <clears throat> but basically I think that robotic manufacturing and 3D plotting will be the future of buildings. But at the same time, and we tried to make it in China, and and, uh, we will try again, and not only the skin, but also also the building and the walls and things like that. But at the same time, we have to think about that 80% of the building workers will be fired. what program do we have to develop in order to keep them in the process? How should we, how should we educate them? Yeah, this is, this is behind all these architectural fantasies, Yeah, which are really, really important issues, I think. And we are doing, right now, we are doing research how we can integrate, uh, um, how we can develop both things, the robots, the plotting and the workers, educate the people around. So.
0: Peter, I wanted to uh, conclude this session just making a, a couple of points about um, Zaha, who you, you and Wolf knew extremely well and I knew quite well. and. Um, now that, as it were, um, we've had time to come to terms with it and there was the, the formal service in St Paul's Cathedral, which is a pretty extraordinary uh, thing to happen for, for any architect. Um, what do you think, actually, her, her impact on architectures ha- has been and is going to be going forward?
1: I think it's actually counter counter-historic in the sense that you know the, the the era of the individual great architect was supposed to be dead, but it wasn't, and I'm, I'm not worried whether it should be dead or shouldn't be dead. I think it's a red herring uh, that she proved that you could be more than just a good woman architect. You could be a fantastic. You could beat the boys at their own game, and she could beat the the, the guys who begat her at their own game, if I dare say so. You know, I think her stuff's much more interesting than Omar right the way through uh, and, and uh, I think she also proved that you could be tiresome and precise I, uh, in, in, a, in a eulogy half a year or a year ago before she died said that she was a sort of John McEnroe of architecture and McEnroe got irritated because he, he was literally, it, it, it offended, I think, okay, perverse bastard perhaps, but it irritated him that the ball was not where it was supposed to be. And I think it irritated her if somebody pissed around in the design process. And we're not... Again, you know, political correctness suggests that we shouldn't do that. We've got to be nice guys and sort of quietly fire the person instead of telling them what they did wrong. So I think it's all to do with that. I think, that I, I think the cult of the personality is a great idea. I mean, God, we're sitting with a fantastic personality, you know, and Himmelblau wouldn't be Himmelblau if it wasn't for, for, for this character who can be perverse and special and funny and all around, you know, it's not made up of X number of Austrian and, and English and Vietnamese, whatever they are, guys sitting at computers, uh, and I think it's about that, but, but we have, you know, I think one has to occasionally say some counter-correct and, and, and anti-historical and uncomfortable things. In order to, to move forward, I don't. I'm I'm still optimistic that everybody will, bo- you know, the, the lo- world will get bored with being boring. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Yeah. Like I said, uh, I miss her uh, very much uh, because when she made a, a statement, uh, everyone was listening, and she was defending an architecture which is. Uh, already the future. And it's very important to have voices. <coughs> Sorry. Go ahead, please. <laughs> Praise Zaha.
0: Well, she was, an, she was an extraordinary character who uh, I remember when she won the peak competition <laughs> I was editing building design, and um, uh, she gave a lecture at the RIBA about this project, and we had, uh, we had a drawing. And instead of just laying out the page in the usual way with a sort of, you know, a rectangle image and the text running around it, uh, we split the image up and had it sort of running off the page. It was very, very modest, um, not particularly clever, but just something slightly different because everyone knew that there was something different on the scene here. We just all knew it straight away. And I can remember um, the advertising manager of our magazine, when the issue came out that week, he rushed out of his office and came out holding this page with this slightly unusual layout, and he said to me, I hope we're not going to start making a habit of this sort of thing, and I think there was a kind of quite a quite a British attitude to doing anything different and doing doing something with interesting with, with something that you hadn't seen before. Wolf,
2: yeah, when uh, when we had to appoint a teacher in our school in Vienna, the architectural school where I was. the the dean of the architectural department. I called Saha, and Saha, would you come to Vienna? And she said, are you kidding? I said, would you come to Vienna, please? It's it's a nice city, and the school is very good, and the students are talented. Second question was, do you have a helicopter airport on the roof of your school? And and I said, no, but we have pension. (laughs) And she said, yes, I will come.
0: Well, that's a sort of bittersweet note to end on. Um, Patrick Schumacher is here in the audience and will be giving a a keynote address um, in about 20 minutes' time. Patrick, welcome. Um, In the meantime, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope you have too. Peter Cook and Wolf Pricks, thank you very much indeed.